Welcome, friends, people for peace, pods of consciousness, planetary citizens, wherever you happen to be today, listening to Glocal News and Social Artistry, where we get to talk to people that are building a more humane world from the inside out. I'm your host, Dick Dalton, and my guest today is a, a relatively new friend who has taken over a teaching position down at Lincoln University in political science. Darius Watson, Dr. Watson, I presume. Yes. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> well, you just talk right up there, and uh, this is your platform. This is your day to uh, let us know who you are and what you do, how you make the world more humane, or at least uh, make your attempt. All right. Yeah, well... Um, again, thank you for having me. Oh, pleasure. Um, pleasure. And uh, yes, I just arrived here in central Missouri in uh, late August to start a position at Lincoln University in the fall. And um, it's been pretty much a whirlwind trip since then um, in terms of engaging local community, learning the university's culture, diving deep into the history of, of central Missouri. And uh, in many ways, it's kind of been a journey of self-discovery as well um, as I've uh, learned more about the individuals that have shaped the area, mm -hmm. especially Lincoln University in Jefferson City. I've um, been surprised to find myself making more and more personal connections in terms of um, as much as I've studied history my whole life, it's now surprising to find an area and a narrative that I can personally connect to. And that's just mm. not something that I've often found in my own work. Well, that's a curious thing to say, being a, a New Yorker. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, born and bred, pretty much. What uh, um, part of New York? Well, I uh, I was raised most of my life in Poughkeepsie, New York, which is about an hour and a half north of New York City. Mm -hmm. um, lived for a time in Boston, spent a lot of time in New York City. So I'm your classic Northeasterner, as it were. Mm -hmm. um, truth be told, I didn't realize I was a New Yorker until I moved to Nebraska. Um, <laughs> it, it was the comparative element that really allowed me to understand the different cultures and just how regionalized this country's become in terms of hmm. um, different political cultures, different understandings of national identity, foreign policy. Um, yeah, moving to Nebraska from New York was kind of one eye opened. Hmm. And then, frankly, moving from Nebraska to Missouri opened the other eye. And so... Hmm. Um, yeah, it's been a fascinating journey. Well, that would mean you're woke now. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not going to go that far because different people define that different ways, I guess. They sure um, do. <laughs> for me, I guess it's just a matter of, I mean, I've always been fascinated by history. I've always studied history. Um, I remember when I was younger, my mother and father actually growing concerned that I had some sort of uh, fixation with war, you know, but the only documentaries that were on TV at the time were black and white grainies from mm -hmm. the 1950s, you know, and so mm -hmm. that's where I started. And then, uh, you know, as I got into college and started my work as a political scientist and international relation theorist, um, it just became obvious that the more history I knew, the more I could understand what it is I was studying. And so mm -hmm. history's always been a, an undercurrent to just about everything I've done. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually just recently uh, finished a draft article for the News Tribune that will be coming out oh, good. in their Black History uh, to kind of celebrate Black History Month. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and in the article, I explained that, um, I mean, I've studied American history back to pre-colonial days, and I've always been fascinated, and I feel like I know a good deal about it. 
But to be perfectly frank, I never felt like it was my history. Um, no matter what I studied, whether it was the Civil War or World War II or um, you know, great leaders and captains of industry, um, to be perfectly honest, I never saw anybody that looked like me. I never saw anybody that shared my story. Uh-huh. And so it's it, history's almost always been someone else's history. Mm-hmm. And so I, I came to uh, Jefferson City, started at Lincoln University, and uh, just this last January, I had an opportunity to do a presentation for the Missouri Regional uh, Re- Missouri River Regional Library Speaker Series. Where I met you. Yes. Mm-hmm. And frankly, that has been a pivotal moment. Not just you, but a lot of different individuals actually reached out mm-hmm. to me after that. Great. Including um, the Jefferson City Historical Organization, mm-hmm. um, the News Tribune, just other individuals who were more interested in my story and what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. And that in turn led me to begin researching because, again, if mm-hmm. I need to know the history of what I'm getting into, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So I came across a book, The, the History of, of Blacks in Missouri, mm-hmm. um, by Lorenzo Green. Lorenzo Green. Yes. Lincoln University. And, and it was the first time in my entire life of studying history in particular that I suddenly made a personal connection. Hmm. And so I've kind of thrown myself into learning who mm-hmm. he was and what he represented as an African-American, what he represented as a member of um, Lincoln University, mm-hmm. and frankly, what he represented as a member of the Jefferson City and Central Missouri communities. Mm-hmm. And the more I've learned, the more I feel like, whether he intended to or not, I almost feel like he's passed me a baton. Mm-hmm. And so it's really emboldened me to to get deeper and, mm-hmm. and really understand the community, the new community mm-hmm. I'm in. And the beauty of it is, it's the first time I feel like I'm almost learning about myself. Mm-hmm. Since I have so many... I mean, he was from New York. I'm from New York. He mm. kind of, his first real introduction to Southern culture was coming to Lincoln University in Jefferson City, mm. as, as was mine. And so mm. there's a lot of similarities there. Yeah, you know? this and, is very um, good. Very interesting. You, yeah, well, when you connect it to also um, one of his kind of professional goals was to bridge the gap between academia and po- political science or politics mm-hmm. in the sense that it wasn't just enough for him to discuss it in a classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, he felt like if he was really going to follow through with, um, you know, his principles and the lessons he was trying to offer, that he had to get on the ground and do it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, reading about <clears throat> his interactions with the 1939 sharecroppers riots and how he motiv- uh, kind of motivated and then, well, got many of the sororities and fraternities at Lincoln University itself mm-hmm. to then go and help the sharecroppers and how that then became uh, kind of a pattern through which Lincoln University connected to a variety of different communities across central Missouri and not just, mm-hmm. you know. And, and what movie does that remind you of? Um, several, actually. The Great Debaters. The Great Debaters, yeah. Yeah, well. Sharecropper, Texas, small black college. Um, one of the things that, mm-hmm. uh, um, frankly, I, I've struggled with, and I say that in both positive and negative sense, mm-hmm is that whether we're talking movies or, you know, obviously with the Democratic caucuses today, you'll, you know, hear, you know, the black vote or Buttigieg's and, and um, mm-hmm. ironically, so much of the political history of African-Americans is about reaching out to individuals who are sympathetic to struggle. And so the reason why I didn't immediately know which movie that you were referring ah. to is because, frankly, all of the movies mm-hmm. kind of echo the same struggle Mm -hmm. and 
I guess in my mind, I, I'm I'm hoping that someday in my life I see the uh, the African American identity is uh, defined as almost something any other than struggle, something else. Hmm. And so I look honestly, I look to people like Neil deGrasse Tyson mm-hmm. and uh, Barack Obama as symbols of okay, it it's not about the struggle, it's about the accomplishment, it's about moving forward. Mm-hmm. And in studying the history of Jefferson City and Lincoln University, you see that dynamic kind of mirrored the. Uh, constant you know overcoming one hurdle or one struggle and then having to face another mm-hmm. you know and it, sometimes it's in the community sometimes it's on our own campus sometimes it's a national struggle and I, I'm really if I have one life goal it's to try and move beyond that struggle to success mm-hmm. you know and and that, that that's where we have to head to and mm-hmm. I think if we do that especially in communities like Jefferson City where the African-American experience is so clearly intertwined mm-hmm. with the history of the city and the region itself, mm-hmm. then we'll all move forward. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's my hope. Mm-hmm. So are you then contemplating becoming uh, politically engaged? More <laughs> well, politically I engaged? I tell people I would love to be more politically mm-hmm. engaged, but the truth of it is, is I don't think I'd ever get elected. Because I refuse to tell people what they want to hear to make themselves feel better. Oh. Um, if we are going to really engage politics and society in this country, we have to be honest with ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's Democrats or African Americans or liberal whites or Jefferson City or Lincoln University, mm-hmm. um, we have to be critically honest with ourselves mm-hmm. in terms of what our strengths and weaknesses are, mm-hmm. where we can improve. Mm-hmm. The things that perhaps we need to begin thinking about setting aside. It's just, I feel like a lot of the discussion, um, it, it hinges too much on past legacies and past understandings of things. Mm-hmm. As much as uh, I appreciate and, in fact, have come to love the legacy of Lincoln Universities and HBCU, I'm also understanding of the degree to which that legacy sometimes hinders our ability to move forward in a non-segregated society and that the very notion of the HBCU at times rests upon historical narratives Mm -hmm. that may no longer be relevant Mm -hmm. and that again that impacts us and who we see ourselves as but more importantly I think it impacts how the community sees us Mm -hmm. and so I I I guess in my mind I don't want to do anything to change that legacy Mm -hmm. I think it's vitally important Mm -hmm. but at the same time I also think it's time to begin linking that legacy to today Mm-hmm. and who we want to be in the future. I think you have written a, a short article on your Drillbits News. Drillbit News. Drillbitnews.com. Dot yes, com. I post most of the articles through Medium. And there was, I recall, some drawings about uh, th- that segregation was one of the little circles, that, and then there was, uh, I don't know, diversity. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember all of them. But what stood out was that segregation... And on integration, yes, integration simply showed a pocket of a minority inside a larger circle of the majority, right? As which is very Lincoln University ish. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so it's um, integration, but you wanted to go beyond integration to there were one or two other well i mean you know and there's all sorts of words come to mind i mean are are we talking about true integration or are we talking about assimilation how much of 
the African-American history is going to be adopted by the broader society as part of their history as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the real struggle. Mm. You know, do you want us to be a part of your culture and your communities and your systems on your terms or on ours? And I think that's kind of been the struggle at the heart of whether it's a social or political understanding of the African-American in the United States. It's been that struggle. How much, how much do I need to become someone else or someone mm-hmm. that I'm not sure I am? Mm-hmm. to then become part of the society. Mm-hmm. And when you consider, I, I make the sometimes controversial argument that um, I truly believe that the African-American identity is one of the truly unique identities in America because it's the only identity that's wholly American. The concept of the African-American did not exist before the end of slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, and so almost every other identity in America you can harken back to some other classical or traditional foundations of who you are, whether it's Irish or Italian or Chinese or, you know, Mexican, any number of hyphenated American identities. There's this clear uh, threshold beyond which you can then look back and say, well, before we were American, we had this and thus mm-hmm. this is what we've brought to the table. I think for the African-American, much of that was hindered, if not completely obliterated, by slavery Mm. and segregation. And so, in many ways, we talk about the American melting pot. I I think the dish that's most often served is the African-American experience. And that's why we ultimately are defined predominantly by struggle, because Mm -hmm. that's been our experience in the the American culture. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I've, I've spoken to family and friends about, I have... A variety of different people in my life that reach out to me and mm-hmm. sympathize and even empathize with some of the different things that I've gone through in my own life and um, the journey that I've made here. And I find it ironic that even the most well-meaning members of other communities, when they attempt to make a personal connection with me as an African-American, it almost always comes back to, well, I came from a broken home. I was raised in poverty. I've struggled. It's all about a struggle. There's no deeper definition of the African-American beyond what we've experienced in this country. And I think it just creates a narrative that really is problematic on a variety of different levels. That's what uh, liberation theology adopted in in becoming the true uh, church that understood the Jewish struggle and then Christ's struggle mm-hmm. and crucifixion, and 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 so they, we're the people, <laughs> we're the ones that understand this. Uh, you, I'm pointing at myself. Right. You white people don't really know what struggle is. Well, no, I wouldn't. I mean, I absolutely <laughs> think. And see, here's the dynamic. I do not think there is a fundamental difference between white people and black people that struggle in America. Hmm. Both groups suffer from poverty. Both groups can suffer from poor upbringing, uh, lack of opportunity. There's so many similarities that I'm not discounting the connection. <clears throat> well, I guess what I would argue is you you cannot, you can't overemphasize the impact of that one additional explanation, race. It is an additional explanation that, frankly, no other group in the society really carries except for maybe women to be perfectly honest Mm -hmm. 
it's one additional reason. I, I tell my friends, uh, the way I define white privilege is simply you never have to worry about the color of your skin being the reason you failed. Mm-hmm. That, that's how I see it. Mm-hmm. And the impact of that is in today's society, you don't get too many people who are explicitly or overtly racist to you in the workplace or when you're trying to get a job or when you're trying. You don't know that was the reason. And so for me, being African-American in many ways is a kind of like a, a, an implied frustration. I'm not sure if that played a role, hmm. but I'd be foolish to think it couldn't have. Mm-hmm. And that's just something that no matter how similar my upbringing is to a white American, that's an additional component that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Now, how do I, how do I quantify that? How do I compartmentalize it so I can give it to you in a form that you can then digest and say, okay, now I understand. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have dear friends and family members who are quite honest and saying, why does it always have to be about race? Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I understand their perspective, but at the same time, I think that kind of comment immediately indicates how much they might not understand mine or understand the African-American experience. Mm-hmm. It is about race. <laughs> There's just no way I can get away from it. And uh, I'm not pretending mm-hmm. I've always dealt with it well. Mm-hmm. I'm not pretending that I understand it fully. Like, in fact, one of the most amazing aspects of coming to Lincoln U- University was it completely altered my understanding of the concept of white privilege. I think for most Americans, whether you're hating the term or using it liberally, I think most white Americans tend to look at that concept as a hyphenated, if not a single word. Mm-hmm. The reality is that privilege in this country is almost wholly dependent upon economic advantage. Mm-hmm. And so why we talk about white privilege is the degree to which they happen to be the ones who have controlled or benefited from the system the most. <laughs> but when you come to Lincoln University and an HBCU, it's fascinating to see on a microcosm how much some of those basic uh, uh, frameworks of privilege, in fact, are controlled by African-Americans. And I've had to step back and understand, well, believe it or not, there's a thing called black privilege too. Now, Mm -hmm. it might end at the sidewalk Mm -hmm. that is the University of Lincoln, but it's still there, Mm -hmm. whether it's my ability to automatically connect with students because they look like me. Mm-hmm. Because we have similar backgrounds. I don't have to explain myself in the same way, for instance, that I've had to explain to myself to some of my predominantly white classes at different universities. That's a privilege. Mm-hmm. I don't have to question. It It would never occur to me that if it didn't work out at the university, it was because I was black. Mm-hmm. And yet that's exactly the thought that went through my mind when my last job didn't work out. Uh-huh. You understand what I'm saying? Gotcha. Because so, you were in Nebraska? Well, yeah, it mm-hmm. just it was... Yeah, I was <laughs> I was the Connecticut Yankee in Connecticut's court. I was definitely mm-hmm. out of my element. Mm-hmm. Um, but ironically, I probably learned more living in Nebraska about myself, about business, about uh, education mm. than I perhaps would have learned at a more accommodating, you know, in a more accommodating culture because I had to, mm-hmm. to go back to our point, I had to struggle. I had, to, I had to struggle to make myself known. I had to, you know, questioning whether any whether or not colleagues were undermining me because of race or because there were so many issues at play that I had to 
I couldn't just give up. I had to figure it out. And so coming to Lincoln, mm -hmm. the, the toughening of the skin, if you will, the, the skills, whether it's just organization or developing proposals or fighting in the system I was in, in, in Nebraska, I had to try and make sure there was a, as perfect as possible. I had to literally dot every I and cross every T because that was the only mm -hmm. hope and then mm -hmm. still got turned down. <laughs> but the practice doing that six mm -hmm. times for di six different program proposals over seven years, having every one of them turned down. Then I come to Lincoln University, I make one proposal in three months and they're literally doing everything they can to support me. Mm -hmm. How do I not step back and think that race has played a role? Mm. Can you share what your proposal was? Is that um, I'm worth absolutely? Um, I was absolutely floored by the number of things that Lincoln University not only represents but has available. We have programs and and um, facilities and a capacity to engage in my particular areas: national security, intelligence studies, uh, disaster and emergency preparedness studies. We have a functioning GIS lab. We have mm -hmm. our own ROTC. We have a police academy that we're working on. And so my proposal is to try and develop an institute at the university that acts as an umbrella to bring these things together. Mm. So then we can more directly coordinate with external organizations. Uh, I've been in discussions with uh, Director Sandy Karsten at the Department of uh, the Missouri Department of Public Safety. She's put me in contact with Missouri Cybersecurity Group, Highway Patrol. Uh, I was given an opportunity to tour the State Emergency Management mm -hmm. Agency facilities in Jefferson City. Mm -hmm. And so, what has been fantastic is not only the doors that can be opened at Lincoln, but the number of individuals at Lincoln and in the community who are really looking forward to helping me open those doors that has just mm -hmm. been that's why i've suddenly felt like maybe i found a place you know wonderful yeah it's been a wonderful. fantastic experience wonderful uh and so that went through the senate or how did that you say it got approved uh, how yes it's right now we're working we're working on trying to secure grants and oh okay um, we're, mm -hmm. we're developing curriculum uh-huh um it's a process mm -hmm. for yeah, instance sure. we wouldn't be able to because the the long-term goal would be to get this institute for instance certified at both the state and federal level mm. um, so that, for instance, we'd have direct relationships with the National Security Agency or the Federal Emergency Management Agency mm -hmm. so that then our programs are being directly supported by them, <clears throat> whether it's through grants or speakerships or exchanges mm -hmm. or internships. The opportunities available to Lincoln mm -hmm. University and the broader Jefferson City community mm -hmm. are... are I, I, it's like there are billiard balls on the table and no one's taking the shot or maybe the mm -hmm. shot hasn't been taken for a while. Mm -hmm. And I'll pick up the stick and mm -hmm. try my best. Yeah. You know, I'll do what I can. So you probably have heard that Lincoln had uh, got got the suicide prevention contract with uh, the Army. Yeah. And uh, that was that was one of those yes. uh, historic pieces. Uh, the training of the uh, mine detection the, uh, there are so many things, from what I understand, when it was the Lincoln Institute and not Lincoln University mm -hmm. prior to 1940, um, and specifically through the era of segregation, Lincoln University was the primary developer of African-American uh, teachers, especially for K-12. through mm -hmm. African-Americans who graduated that university with master's and graduate degrees went around the country mm -hmm. 
and some of the most prestigious schools in the country. And so, I mean, there is a legacy that, mm-hmm. yeah. And mm-hmm. and what was fascinating to me was the central role that Dr. Green played in mm-hmm. not just developing mm-hmm. that leg- legacy, but helping to promote it out further. Mm-hmm. And so I've just been fascinated by his right. story. I mean, literally, I find myself driving into Jefferson City and looking for the old trade station mm-hmm. so I can then trace the steps that he took from the train station mm-hmm. to the foot, through the foot to the right. university, you know. And, I've just never felt such a personal need to be connected to the history I was studying. Mm-hmm. And so as much as I've always been motivated, this is next level. This he was a, a, a great mentor for a, another fellow in the area. Uh, you, you met Gary Kramer? I have not met him personally yet. We've actually exchanged some emails. I'm hoping Good. that we'll be able to get together soon. Well, you probably will see him February 29th over at Herman if you get to go to the symposium mm-hmm. on uh, the, the Herman's uh, first official celebration of Black History Month right. with the uh, afternoon symposium. We had several folks on that are, were promoting that, okay. uh, Cecilia Nadal in St. Louis and... Um, and I'm not getting the name of the tourism woman in right. uh, in Herman. Sorry, but I want to give another shout out for that because Gary Kramer is one of the speakers as well as Cecilia and uh, and you've been uh, getting some information on that a German history connection with. Uh, so uh, my whole approach again, I, I study anything. I, I mean, I'm as fascinated by. Uh, astrophysics as I am <laughs> American history I've studied just about every country in the world in one form or another and uh, ancient history I've just always been fascinated by knowledge mm-hmm. um, and so I was given the opportunity again through the the MRL speaker series mm-hmm. um, I was contacted by the Jefferson City Historic Society and mm-hmm. so um, I'll be doing a presentation with them Black History Month, and we've already started to get a really significant amount of interest to the point that we'll, we'll be discussing alternative, maybe second offerings of the event. What's the date? The 24th, I believe, of February. Yes, 24th, the Historic City of Jefferson organization at 601 East High Street, mm-hmm. and that'll be 6.30 to 8 o'clock on Monday, February mm-hmm. 24th. Okay, we, we want to announce that again at the end of, yeah. of the show, but okay. right now... Dr. Darius Watson, we're going to take a station break. And when we come back, I don't know how much of your um, struggle journey you would like to share, but we're open to whatever stories you uh, you have about I'll getting to where you are. I'm you know, getting myself in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll be back in a few minutes with more local news in social artistry. And welcome back to Glocal News in Social Artistry. I'm your host, Dick Dalton. My guest today from Lincoln University, via many other paths, <laughs> Dr. Darius Watson, political science teacher and uh, a man curious about many things. <laughs> yeah, um, including myself at times, you know. Mm-hmm. So you asked about my background, and 
Well, as I said earlier, one of the issues that I've dealt with in the majority of my life is this idea of fitting in. Um, not quite finding that niche, if you will. And it's probably been for a variety of reasons in the sense of, well, I'm half black and half white. And that has often put me on the boundaries between those issues. Mm -hmm. I kind of, uh, you know, I would like to tell you I grew up in a broken home, but that really wasn't quite it. I had a mother and father and they Mm -hmm. cared for me and they took Mm -hmm. care of me. But there were some internal issues, you know, Um, and ultimately I ended up leaving home and dropping out of high school in my senior year. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, unfortunately, at that time, um, there was also an epidemic of drugs and crack cocaine that exploded in my neighborhoods and Mm. in the Northeast at about that time when I was really vulnerable. And Mm -hmm. um, I'm happy to say I'm coming up on my 28th year of sobriety. And Mm -hmm. um, but that was also an experience that I would be lying if I said did not impact who I am and what I've Mm -hmm. become. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't get my GED until I was 21. Mm -hmm. I didn't finish my first two-year degree until I was 27. Mm -hmm. So to say I'm a late bloomer would kind Mm -hmm. of be an understatement. Non-traditional student. Uh, Yeah, that's what we called them back in the past, you know. Um, But basically, once I got my head out of my butt, I started to realize that not only was education my path to redemption and growth, that in fact, it may very well end up being the path to success. And so the more I learned, the more it seemed to almost like uh, build on itself a momentum if you will and so mm-hmm. yeah it took me six and a half seven years to finish my two-year degree just because working two full-time jobs and this mm-hmm. and that and and then I finished my uh, second two years and got my undergraduate in 18 months mm-hmm. um, master's degree and then on to the PhD which took a while but uh, it's been it's been a journey um, mm-hmm. you know I remember I had already gotten my master's and was working on the PhD and I was still working and I was working at the local Fridays, you know, <laughs> literally working at the saute station. Yeah. And I knew it was time for me to move to the next lane when the guy that was working Fry Station next to me was also my student. And so here we are in the middle of a Friday night rush and I've got tickets all over the place and he's asking me about the assignment due on Monday. And I, I thought it was probably time to begin trying to separate those worlds a little bit. You How know? weird. Uh, that's um, interesting. And again, I, I mean... You know, I, I'm I'm a little bit more liberal minded. I'd like to consider myself a moderate, but in these day and times there are people that would probably call me an extremist, mm-hmm. even though I don't see myself that way. Mm-hmm. I tend to approach politics from the perspective of issues rather than platforms. Yeah, I mean I, I there are a lot of bands I like, it doesn't mean I like every song. Ah, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And sure. so uh, to me it's about stepping back and realizing okay, what are we talking about relative to what we were talking about? Because my opinions might not be the same mm-hmm. on those two issues. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so, I mean, I have more conservative white friends than I do black friends or liberals. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, again, you know, my upbringing, my, my, my sphere, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so I've had to kind of dance across a lot of different... I'm, I'm not your traditional academic. Mm-hmm. I, I, no one ever was going to pay for me to go and study abroad for a year or give me the time to, you know, lay off from work for a year and a half while I got my dissertation turned into a book. I just haven't had those opportunities. Mm-hmm. And so from the academic perspective, there have been people that see me as wanting. And so I haven't ever quite fit into the academic environment, even mm-hmm. with all my, 
you know, writing and research and everything else. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I'm, I'm not quite the kid on the street anymore either. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I'm not, Mm -hmm. I, I, Missouri has been a place where I find I'm able to make a lot of those connections. Mm -hmm. A lot of states and, and frankly, cultures claim to be the crossroads of America. But when I study Missouri history, and I really went all the way back to geography, mm-hmm. you know, and you see that there are very distinct regions in Missouri, and that those regions in turn had very distinct differences in the way mm-hmm. they were settled, mm-hmm. how those cultures developed, and then how they began to become integrated within not just a Missouri state, but within the United States. Mm-hmm. And so it's been fascinating to me because in many ways I see Missouri as being as much on the uh, in between worlds as i feel Mm -hmm. and so that's created kind of a additional level of camaraderie if you will between me and my new community yeah international relations was and is an interest of yours yes Uh, it's a passion absolutely mm -hmm. i still i i write um i try and write a lot on foreign policy i unfortunately as someone in nebraska once put it to me yes midwesterners don't really care about foreign policy that much Hmm. And unless know, it's uh, the trade uh, association, but even for then, if that and, trade issue isn't impacting, you know, corn prices, you know, how much do I really need to care? And I don't say that in a demeaning way. I think there are Americans around the country that have that, you know, whether it's listen, I'm I'm just trying to get through my day, you know, or that's too much to kind of get a handle on. Let me focus on domestic politics. There are a lot of reasons why Americans aren't that interested in international politics. I tell my students, you know, not for nothing, but the single most important yet overlooked right that Americans enjoy is the right to not do anything, (laughs) right? We don't have to vote. We don't Mm -hmm. have to be involved. We don't have to do anything as Americans. Mm. And we underestimate just how many of us exercise that right, Uh especially when it comes to social and political issues. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I guess for me, it's just about I, I want to make people aware. I want to, I want to make people understand that we're connected. You know, not just me mm-hmm. as a New Yorker connected to Missourians, or as us as Missourians connected to Nebraskans, or mm-hmm. we're connected to the world in ways that we don't even fully understand on a day to day basis. And mm-hmm. so, if I can bring a little of that to my classes, to my students, mm-hmm. I mean, I tell my students, you know, a lot of my students, white and black, and you know, again, things you wouldn't understand. The population, student population of Lincoln University is split almost down the middle between whites oh, yeah. and blacks. It's one thing a lot of people don't understand. Mm-hmm. One of the things that really brings the students and the faculty together is that there's really nobody at that university who can claim that their dad gave him $3 million to start their business. That everyone there has worked, white, black, or other, mm-hmm. has worked to get to where they are. Mm-hmm. And so... As a university, especially amongst the faculty, we're able to reach out to our students and say, listen, I'm not preaching at you. I'm trying to explain to you that I already hit that pothole. Maybe you should avoid it. Mm -hmm. And that's a lesson that I think our students appreciate perhaps more than anything else. Mm -hmm. Because uh, like I tell my students, you know, they they explain to me they've got problems at home. And I go, check, next. Well, you know, I've had addiction problems. Okay, check, I get that one. Well, I've had problems at okay, at what point do you realize that I'm what you're describing? And if I can still stand here with a monocle of success, you're kind of running out of excuses. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really impacted some of my students and mm-hmm. you know, made them realize that, well, 
you know, I'm responsible for me. Doesn't mean that there aren't hurdles. Doesn't mean that, you know, there aren't people that might not help me as much as they should. But in the end, I'm still responsible for me. And so Mm -hmm. let's get to it, Mm -hmm. you know. So you've mentioned writings. Uh, you have a place that people can access your writings? Yeah, so I, I'm, it's funny. I, I have a website, drillbitnews.com, and um, about six months ago, uh, WordPress changed their structure and framework, and now I'm having difficulty. I might be knowledgeable in a lot of things, but technology isn't really one of them when it comes to the online. Okay. And, mm-hmm. and so I'm doing most of my publications through medium.com. It's kind of an online uh, magazine rack, yeah, and so I've I actually just completed my forty fifth article in the last year and a half or so. Oh, so um, how do you uh, how do you get one submitted on Medium dot com? Well, I, I it's my website, and so basically, oh, Medium is yeah, your website. Well, no, Medium no. is a kind of an open access, if you will. Okay. So as long as you're registered, you can post whatever you want. Oh, it's okay. your uh, outlet. Now, do they then take that and put it into their national political feed or their oh, national race okay. feed? Mm-hmm. That's their decision, but you can still post your material. There. Oh, good. So if you go to medium.com and search drillbitnews.com, mm-hmm. you'll find all my Oh, work. okay. Yep, you'll find my work. So it's a step, yep. menu step. It's just a menu step. You okay. go to the main page at medium.com and then just search mm-hmm. well, great. News and great. Find my stuff. I'm glad to know that. Yep. Yeah, I read several of yours and listened to one of your podcasts from way You were the one. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I noticed the numbers weren't great. Uh, You actually uh, predicted that Donald Trump would want to be impeached Mm -hmm. uh, last year, that it would be a great uh, election boon for him. And lo and behold, he's been impeached, and, and today his favorability rating is higher than it's ever been. Uh, it, it Were you a, a prophet? Um, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't definitely go that far. I guess, I guess it's important for me to explain that as uh, I'm torn. I have been torn by the last three years plus. Mm-hmm. Um, I look at political politics in America, I guess I, I use the analogy in the same way that a geologist looks like an earthquake, looks at an earthquake. The human being in you, the, the, the person that cares about other people, you're mortified by what's going on. You're horrified. The destruction, it's mm-hmm. terrible. Mm-hmm. But you're a scientist who has literally dedicated your entire life to studying this moment. Mm-hmm. So there's a certain party that's standing back going, wow, I have to take notes. This is amazing. I might never see this again. Mm-hmm. I find myself approaching politics in America the same mm-hmm. way. I tell my students all the time, it doesn't matter whether you hate Trump or love Trump. Mm-hmm. Pay attention. Mm-hmm. This this moment will be in American history textbooks for the next three generations. Mm-hmm. They will go back through this period of time mm-hmm. in the same way that they went through Lincoln and Reconstruction. This is a pivotal moment in U.S. history. Mm-hmm. And from my perspective, I guess there's a lot of different issues at play here. I guess first and foremost, as much as it bothers me, I have to give the man credit because he's a social media genius. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I don't use that word lightly. Mm-hmm. But Maybe his ability, it's stable is he a stable well, genius? I, again, <laughs> you're trying to get me down that rabbit hole. I'm not going to go. Um, he's going to win in many ways because he only has one message to give. And the beauty of the message, make America great again is you can then define America and great however you want. And so, again, 
he's able to reach an audience where if you actually talk to these, and, and I've talked to them, the large majority of conservatives I know wouldn't want this guy in their house for dinner, but they're able to take his message. Well, when I think great America, I think economy, or I think reduced immigration, or I think overcoming Obama. So they're able to identify with that one particular thing they're interested in mm-hmm. and still fit it under the umbrella of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, whether it's kind of the, the, the fight back against political correctness or this belief that somehow... American society is being taken over by immigrants or minorities. And I mean, frankly, there's a significant portion of, of white America that believes that they're losing control mm-hmm. of that narrative. Right. And he was able to really reintroduce it almost like a, a mad lib going back to my childhood. You fill in the blanks and then I'll, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, what better? Right. And right. so ironically, the reason why I'm by the day becoming more concerned that the Democrats are going to lose (laughs) is because by definition, each of those individual issues within the Democratic Party are an individual Democrat. Mm -hmm. There's no Democrat, whether it's Biden or Sanders or even uh, Bloomberg, Mm -hmm. who can create a message that's then going to reach the far left progressive, reach the moderate and remain true to what they're saying. Mm -hmm. And so they have to pick a lane. Trump doesn't do that. He, mm-hmm. he can swerve all over the road and mm-hmm. just stay out of his way and, mm-hmm. you know, he'll get you where you want to go. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's their strength. That's the strength. And, mm-hmm. you know, even with the caucus issue in Monday, I mean, there's no good. There's no positive that comes out of it for the Democratic right. Party. And actually, I was before the articles even started coming out. I made the I made the post on Facebook. The big winner here is Bloomberg. There's no other way to put it. (laughs) And uh, ironically, I'm starting to wonder if he might not be the best chance. Mm -hmm. If for no other reason that he's kind of trying to take this broader. Listen, I know you've got this on your plate. I know Mm -hmm. you progressives want that. And I want to beat Trump. And we'll worry about how I fit all your messages into my umbrella later on. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's doing it a different way. But that's kind of the same thing Trump did to win, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. I think I've written another article. I think we do not understand how pivotal the 2020 election is, whether you're Democrat or Republican or Hmm. one of the 52% that don't even vote. Mm -hmm. I think this is as pivotal an election as the election of 1864, Ah. without a doubt. Lincoln doesn't get reelected. The South and the North enter into some sort of neutral negotiation. We have two states. I mean, that's literally the outcome. Two nations. Right? Yeah, two nations. And I'm wondering if we're not approaching that sort of situation i wrote one of the things that i think has driven uh trump as a politician is uh the eradication of the obama legacy Mm -hmm. and one of the things that i think democrats have been able to hold on to is as much as he's been shaking the etch-a-sketch he has not offered an alternative vision or view it's just let's Mm -hmm. get rid of this right let's roll back that right let's right yeah it's a a checklist it's just going down a second term Mm -hmm. He's going to run out of those things mm-hmm. and inevitably begin sketching a picture. He's inevitably going to have to actually start creating some of these institutional frameworks, legal frameworks to replace these things. Mm-hmm. And that's my bigger fear. So whether it's Iran or North Korea, for instance, U.S. disarmament is in complete shambles as a mm-hmm. policy, as a foreign policy. Mm-hmm. At some point, next term, he's going to have to start to create that. Mm-hmm. Um, NATO. Our relationship with Iran, with mm-hmm. 
Russia. Well, he's already started with Israel, has he not? I'm. And how are you going to make that relevant to your your students? Um, how <laughs> am I going to make that relevant to my students? Well, I Israel mean, is right up there with one of the. Israel is almost like the international relations version of the abortion debate at the domestic level. It is so charged with emotion, hmm. with narratives, mm -hmm. with, frankly, misunderstandings mm -hmm. and biases. Yeah, because you know. you're anti-Semitic if you say anything Well, I mean, this there, way. a lot of people don't understand there are significant divisions within Israel over, I mean, let's mm -hmm. not forget, Netanyahu is facing some of the most significant oh, criminal yeah. charges in their history. Right. And so the dynamic is interesting, but mm -hmm. I think in the end, we're losing sight of the degree to which those in power have the greatest capability to compromise and I, I think that we are setting ourselves up for a middle east policy in which no one will take us seriously except the israelis hmm. and as much as we need them as an island i don't think they need us as much as they used to hmm. very clearly one of their primary uh relationships in the middle east quite ironically is saudi arabia Israel and Saudi Arabia have become intimately closer precisely because of the growing threat of Iran. And so the exchange of intelligence, for instance, between Israel and Saudi Arabia has increased exponentially over Isn't the last that amazing? years. Isn't that right? amazing? <laughs> and when you add in the wild cards, like the Russians now have a foothold in the Middle East that they worked 50 years to get during the Cold War and could not achieve. And they've now achieved it in less than five years. We are, I mean, our attempts to create or promote democracy following the Arab Spring was an abject failure. Mm -hmm. People continue to not recognize Libya is in a full-blown civil war and has been. Yeah. But the victory that Assad can claim in, in Syria, that's not just for him. That's for every other quasi-dictator who believes mm -hmm. maybe now I can look for these other groups that might, if they just identify the United States or NATO as the enemy, no matter how much they might dislike me, now I'm an enemy of my enemies, my friend kind of approach, <laughs> yeah, you know? Right. And so, <laughs> unfortunately, I do not see any clarity anytime soon in U.S. foreign policy in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. And again, another article, I actually am not sure that the Middle East is going to be the primary front to worry about. Mm -hmm. I think the next great front in the war on terror is, in fact, Africa. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the level of the level of violence, the level of extremist organizations, and their ability to directly impact the stability of states, the number of states whose stability is being impacted, and mm -hmm. all of this is you know mm -hmm. taking place on the foundation of longstanding uh, poor governance, mm -hmm. lack of economic development. Um, I mean, I, I'm concerned that mm -hmm. as much as we've focused on the the devolution, if you will, of Middle East and you know politics and culture that Africa is going to return to almost a 1960s, 1970s level of violence. Well, economic colonialism yeah. is uh, rampant, and uh, we've already had genocide. We've already had civil war after civil so war. So what happens, right, when, in my mind, if you need an understanding of, of where we might be heading, as bad as the economic and imperialist, uh, the social, uh, the colonial and imperialist dominance of Africa was during that period of time, the real horrors started to develop after. See Rwanda. See the, that's what I meant, the genocide. And, right. Yeah, right. And mm -hmm. so that's what we're seeing mm -hmm. possibly develop now, and it mm -hmm. scares me. Mm -hmm. 
Well, what's the good news in our last uh, minute and a half? <laughs> the good news is, like I tell my students, do not blame our government. Blaming our government for the problems that we have today is like blaming the, the, the car for the drunk driver accident. Hmm. I, I just don't like that. And, and in my mind, in fact, everything we're going through is proof positive of just how amazing our government is. Hmm. No, no matter how much you feel like things are falling apart, guess what? I can promise you there'll be an election in September. Hmm. Do you know, or not uh, November. Hmm. Do you know the number of countries that can't say that? Hmm. That, I mean, look at Russia, right? And Putin's mm -hmm. already begun manipulating the process mm -hmm. for the third time. Mm -hmm. I mean, the number of countries that wish they had the stability of our political system. So our positive message is government is okay. Vote. 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 It is not the government that's the problem. It's the people who we're putting in power and, in our name. And February 24th, what February day of the 24th, week? February 24th, that's a, a Monday. Monday yep. at and, uh, uh, 6.30 on yep. High Street in uh, Jefferson City. 601 East High Street in Jefferson City. You'll be there. Yes, sir, I will. Okay. Well, I won't be there because I have choir practice at night. But, uh, hey. Hey, I understand. I, I we all give have to my lift full our support. voices somehow. <laughs> Great. Uh, Dr. Darius Watson, thank you. Thank you. I uh, really appreciate it. If I could just I, take I see, one moment. Yes? I'd just like to say hello to my wife in particular and oh. my family and friends for supporting me as long as they have. Mm -hmm. And I definitely want to give a shout out to the students who took the time to listen to this and support me. I appreciate it more than I can tell you. And friends, uh, remember, wherever you are, that is your world. Please leave your world cleaner, uh, more peaceful, and more loving than you found it. Because if it is to be... It is up to us. Take care and talk to you soon.